Hello and welcome into Get Up Speak Up Quarantine Edition. Haven't been able to do an episode in a while because I haven't been able to get the audio to work from home. Of course not being able to use the usual facility because of the coronavirus. So apologies if it sounds a bit different on the podcast but needs must in these unprecedented times. There's of course no place to start other than with the coronavirus. I'm going to quickly touch on the myriad of problems and disruptions it's caused the sporting world since the outbreak. Then I'm going to get into an interesting debate that's arisen from the pressure Premier League football clubs have come under not to furlough their staff while paying their players astronomical wages. Interesting moral discussion to be had there. Then, in light of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver's idea for NBA stars to compete against each other in games of horse, I'm going to get into what can be done here to give us some live sport during the lockdown. And then I'm going to have Arsenal football fan Albert Elbeer call in the podcast. And in a time where we're really realising how much we appreciate sport, we're going to come up with a 1-11 to of underappreciated footballers. Like a combined 11 between the two of us. And it'll be interesting to see what names and players we come up with there to round off the podcast. But yeah, as I said, there is no real place to start other than with the coronavirus. It's kind of given me and I think a lot of sports fans a bit of a new appreciation for sport, to be honest, and its value to the international psyche. I remember having a lot of conversations with friends about, wow, imagine sports just didn't exist. Like, what would we do? Imagine sports just suddenly stopped. Well, here we are. First, it was the NBA, then the Premier League, and since then, the Champions League, MLB, Wimbledon, Masters, and Tokyo Olympics have all stopped, been cancelled or postponed, among others. The sporting world has really come to a standstill, and the delays are really costly. I mean... The Japanese government are losing 2.9 billion US dollars, which is crazy um, because of the delay of the Olympics. 2.9 billion US dollars. Think about the toilet roll you couldn't buy with that. But seriously, the cost to the athletes individually as well is huge. Think about LeBron James. He's going into what, his 17th season. He's the number one seed in the West. He's trying to close that gap, even though I personally don't think he ever can, but he's trying to close that gap on Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time. Uh, He's close to being able to get that fourth ring, well not close, but he's leading the West as the number one seed. And halfway through the season, the virus comes, and who knows whether we'll even be able to finish the NBA season and he'll get a chance to get that ring. And interestingly as well, even if they do manage to end the season, will there be an asterisk over whoever wins the championship? Because will they be able to finish the regular season? Will they be able to still have eight teams from each conference in the playoffs. All of these things may lead to people saying, well, the winner of this year, mm, bit of an asterisk, not quite the full achievement because they haven't had to do as much as people have had to do in other years. Liverpool winger Sadio Mane came out the other day as Liverpool sit on the brink of winning the Premier League, their first ever, and said even though it's his dream to win the Premier League, he would understand if Liverpool weren't given that honour this season because they're 25 points clear, it's seemingly only a matter of time, but will they get that time? That's quite, I mean, never seen, never known anything like this. And then you think about the Olympic athletes and it's so much worse for them than it is for anyone else. I remember reading an article that said Team GB before Rio 2016 were already preparing for Tokyo 2020. That's how much forethought and preparation goes into an event that comes once every four years. So postponing it for one year isn't the same inconvenience as it is 
for footballers or basketball players who compete every year because these guys have put in four years or more of prep into making sure they're at their optimal level come the exact time they need to compete. So postponing it for a year throws their whole timetable and preparation schedule out the window, which is crushing for these guys. And that's just some of the problems that this virus has caused. It's so unfortunate. It's really hard to kind of talk about because when you do a podcast like this about sports and you're passionate about sports, you want to talk about exciting, interesting, positive things. But with this virus, it's very hard to put a positive spin on what is a massive disruptor to not just the fans, but also the athletes who have dedicated their lives to be able to achieve goals that this virus may prevent them from getting. Instead, I wanted to talk about this debate that's arisen in the UK about whether big Premier League clubs who can afford to play their players' astronomical wages, whether they should be making use of the government scheme to furlough their staff. Tottenham did it first, and it didn't sit well with a lot of people that while they're paying the likes of Harry Kane and Deli Alley over six figures a week, they would make use of the government scheme to pay some of their other staff. And then something totally unprecedented happened where Liverpool came out and said they would be following their staff. And then after about 48 hours of public and media pressure, did a complete 180 and were like, no, we're not going to furlough our staff. I reckon they thought, oh gosh, we're not going to be able to finish this season. We might need to get public opinion on our side if we're going to get given the Premier League um, and decided to pull a 180. But it does give rise to an interesting kind of moral debate about whether footballers should take a pay cut, whether big football clubs should be furloughing their staff. And my opinion on this is kind of, I'm a bit sick and tired of football players and sports stars being held to a completely different standard to everyone else. That's really starting to annoy me. Every single big corporate business will have a few individuals on really, really high salaries and a lot of individuals on middle to low income salaries. That is the financial construct of almost every big business, including football clubs. But why are football clubs and football players always seemingly held to different standards? Take, for example, like, I don't know, like a big bank like um, HSBC. Nothing against HSBC, just a random example. HSBC will have a few individuals, 20 to 30 individuals, on really, really, really high salaries. And they'll have a lot of individuals doing an array of jobs across their company on middle to low income salaries. And football clubs will be exactly the same. Tottenham, one of the clubs that have come under scrutiny for following their staff. They'll have 20 to 30 individuals, mostly the players and then also some of the chief execs and board members, on massive, massive salaries. And then a whole array of staff on middle to low income salaries. If we're not going to give HSBC and the CFOs, COOs, CEOs, whatever, from HSBC, loads of heat for furloughing their staff, why are we giving it to football clubs? I don't understand why football players are any different to other wealthy individuals from other industries, and why football clubs are any different to big corporate business. It's the same financial construct. It's literally the exact same. 5% of your employees earn massive salaries, 95% middle to low income, yet when it comes to footballers, the media want to hark on them all the time. I really, really think it's unfair. However, that is, of course, different to the question of what should be done by footballers because there's a whole different argument, um, much more persuasive argument. Really wealthy people in these times of great need have a, have a duty to society to help us out and help us get through. 
And I do think there's, of course, loads of merit to that. This is the only part I do disagree with is holding football players to different standards because wealthy individuals in this country stretch far, far beyond just football players. And I think that needs to be talked about more. And also, it's been well done to all the footballers and sports stars who have used their platform to raise money for the NHS. I know Josh Butler sold his shirt that he won the Cricket World Cup in for over £65,000, I think. So that's, that's really impressive. I mean, of course, that didn't get as much media coverage as Tottenham following their staff, but I just think that should also be mentioned. A lot of footballers and a lot of sports stars are doing really good things and using their platform really well. At the top of the podcast, I mentioned the NBA was kind of the first major sporting domino to fall in terms of cancelling their live games. But I have to say, I think the reaction of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has been by far the best of any of the heads of major sports. And he suggested that NBA players play a kind of virtual horse game against each other in their private gyms or in their houses. And I think this is a great idea. I don't know why other leagues haven't caught on. Who wouldn't want to see... Giannis against James Harden in a game of horse from their houses while they're isolating after they've been beefing each other off the court for the last couple of months. Everyone would want to see that. We're starving for live sport and some competition. That would be awesome, like make it happen. I don't know why the Premier League also don't do a similar thing. You're telling me you can't get under a Bamiang from his mansion to challenge Harry Kane from his mansion in a game of horse put it live on Sky. I mean, that would be brilliant. A Batman has a trick. Harry Kane's got to match him. Because they're professional athletes, they're inherently competitive. It gets competitive. Make it best of five. Put it on Sky Sports. Everyone would be watching that. I know Arsenal fans would be watching. I know Tottenham fans would be watching. I know I'd be watching. That would be great TV. One thing I've learned uh, since spending more time on Twitter and following a lot more of that on social media is sports fans really, really care about the individuals on their team as well as their team. Arsenal fans really care that, not just that Arsenal beat Tottenham, but that Aubameyang is considered better than Harry Kane. Tottenham fans really care, not just that they win the North London derby, but that Harry Kane, the world knows that he's better than Aubameyang. They really care about those things. They really, that really matters to them. So that would be great TV. It's something that can happen during the isolation, and I really think it would get a lot of traction. Besides, there's nothing else to watch. (laughs) What else are we going to be watching? Replay after replay after replay on Sky. We're starving for some live sport. Premier League, make it happen. Okay, and now it's time for our underappreciated 11th. Alpa Elvir is calling in to join the podcast. Alpa, thanks for coming on. Hello, Marty. Hello. Um, We're going to just do, like as, as I said at the start, a little underappreciated 11, combined 11 between the two of us in this time where we are really realising how much we appreciate live sport. With the NFL draft coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to do it in that style where we get one pick each until we get our 11. To decide who gets the first pick, I'm going to ask you a Premier League trivia question, see how you do. If you get it right, you'll go first, and if you get it wrong, I'll go first. Okay, you ready? Arsenal legend Thierry Henry has scored 175 Premier League goals, which is the most of any French player in Premier League history. Which also former Arsenal player has scored the second most Premier League goals by a Frenchman? Nicolas Malcolm. Oh, what a shout. 
What a shout. 125 goals, that's correct. Uh, I'm impressed. I thought I had you there. Honestly, I thought I was going to have you. Oh, uh, that's a pain. Uh, well done, fair enough. 125 goals. He knows his stuff. The boy knows his stuff. But everyone knows the highlight of his career was, of course, the 2008 Champions League final penalty miss in Moscow. Um, all right, you've earned it. You get the first pick. Who you got? So should I start with goalkeeper? No, you can pick. You can pick any position, no order. You can... I, I think I'm just gonna go normally. So we're playing the four four two. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go four. Yeah, gonna go four four two. And I'm gonna go with the goalkeeper. Okay. Um, most of my players as well, just to give a quick introduction to it, is our players that are playing right now. So I think it was easier for me to pick players that are all playing right now. My goalkeeper is Keylor Navas. I think he's been a very, very consistent player mm. throughout his Real Madrid days and also his PSG days. I think he's a very underappreciated goalkeeper within the game. I think his consistent performances in Champions League finals deserves a spot in the goalkeeper's squad. And on top of that, I think he's not, he's not praised enough. He's not... He's not on the same level as like Courtois or Testegen or Neuer for. But do you think do you think he is actually on their level though? Because I think I. Yeah, go on. I think he's a very good shot stopper. I think he does the basic things very, very, very good, and bro, he's won three Champions Leagues back to back, like. Yeah, he's been he's been in the team which has won three Champions League, which won three Champions League in a row, but. Yeah. I don't know if you, you say he's not talked about in the same way as Courtois and Testegen. I don't think he's as good as Courtois and Testegen. I think. But I think he's made a lot of big, big saves in big, big games. Fair enough. Okay, fine. First, first one off the board is goalkeeper, and you have gone with Taylor Who was your goalkeeper? Uh, my one was Rui Patricio for Wolves. Uh, oh, that, that's a good one. That I think one. I think he's a good keeper, and he's up there with the best in the Premier League, but he doesn't get talked about in the same conversation as uh, De Gea and Edison and Alisson. Okay, with my first pick in the underappreciated XI draft, I'm going to go into the heart of midfield with Jisung Park. He doesn't play anymore, but he used to play central midfield for that very successful late noughties United team. And I remember hearing Ferguson in an interview say, Jason Park is always his first pick for big matches. When you think about that team, you think about Rooney, Ferdinand, Vidic, Van der Sar, Evra, before you think of Jason Park, but he was one of the unsung heroes of one of the most successful teams English football has ever seen. So my first pick is Jason Park. I agree, I agree with that one. Alright. I also had him on my list as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, did, okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Alright, who's, your, who's your second pick? Left mid? Yeah. That's well, an attacking team. That's where I could fit him in. Yeah. The reasons why I picked Thomas Muller is he's a Champions League winner. He's a treble winner. He gets yeah. a lot of the assists for Lewandowski. He's also been very, very clinical in World Cups, in World Cup finals as well. Yeah. He's been, he's won the World Cup as well. I think he's a very, very consistent player. You know what you're getting with Tom Smuller. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you're getting goals. You're getting goals. Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting goals in very important period of times. You're getting assists. He's a workhorse. He'll run up and down the pitch. And yeah. I think he's very, very quality. 
and we don't really hold him in the same regards as some of the best players in the world, especially in his prime. So I think a couple of years ago now, when he did win the treble, like he was he was outstanding. But Ribery and Robin were the star players, and no one really looked on him. Yeah, and I think he's a very underappreciated and underrated. I think. Yeah, no, I've got I've got no no. Uh... No problems with that. That's a good pick. Thomas Muller is definitely underrated. Okay, with my next pick, I'm going to go up to striker with one of Muller's former teammates. I'm going to go for Mario Mandzukic up front. I think he's very underrated. This is a guy who has scored in two Champions League finals, including that overhead kick against... Uh, who was that against? That was against Real Madrid. Against who, What goalkeeper was that against? Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> That was against Real Madrid. He's also scored uh, at Wembley against Borussia Dortmund in a final which they won. And he's also scored in a World Cup final, albeit a Lloris mistake. So I think that's a guy who's come up big. Again, he's won loads of trophies. He's played for a lot of big teams, Atletico, Juve, and um, of course Munich. He's just one of those players who always seems to be on winning teams. And I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. So Mario Mandzukic is my pick up front. You know, I, funny enough, I didn't really think of it. addition to a very very good if you have a really 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 good team he is a nice cherry on top but I don't see him as being uh, the kind of engine of a really really top team I, I can't see that I can't see his only chance to be the best player on a team was at Man United where as you say he was terrible no 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 but in Real Madrid he was crazy good like his assist for Ronaldo he was running up and down the field like a horse as well I remember and even for PSG, he, he just scores outrageous scores all the time. And I think the spell at United just makes it seem as if he's a bad player, but I don't think he is because he performs in the big games for PSG. In against Dortmund, he did a very good job as well. Wow. Okay. That's my. That's my. That's my. I think that's the controversial opinion on that. But I really do enjoy the way he plays football, and I think he does deserve a spot for an underrated eleven. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's, I think he is a good player. I think he has a lot of quality, but underappreciated. I'm not sure, in my opinion, if he goes into that, if he necessarily fits that mold. But hey, you yeah, got, you got the Nicholas and Elka question. You got the first yeah, pick. Yeah. You, you have the right to do it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go to the back four now. I'm gonna pick a centre back, and I'm gonna go for Diego Godin. I think he's been part of that Atletico team, which has so much stress put on that defence. And he's won a he's won a, a La Liga, which 
you know, to be part of a team, uh, one of the key parts of a team that beats both Barcelona and Real Madrid to La Liga is very impressive. He was excellent in that season, just excellent. I remember he scored the goal in the Champions League final that year, which gave them the lead against Real Madrid before, obviously, Sergio Ramos scored that last-minute header and they lost an extra time. He also scored the header on the final day of the season at the Nou Camp to give Atletico the league. I think he's consistently been one of the best defenders in the world, but isn't necessarily the first name of people's tongue when people talk about the best centre-backs in the world. So Diego Godin is my, is my centre-back pick. I disagree with him being underrated. I think he is rated, especially in Spain. I'm not sure about the UK, but I know in Spain and in Madrid, like they, they were calling him the wall and all of this stuff. Like he was crazy good. But do you think, think do you think he's, he might be rated, but just because you're rated doesn't mean you're not underappreciated. In the sense that you can still be considered to be good. I think he went through a spell of a couple years where he was the best centre-back in the world. But he was never spoken about that, spoken about in that way. Maybe because Ramos was just so crazy in that period of time. And he just kept on winning every trip. But but Ramos, Ramos didn't have to have... 10 men behind the ball, back to the wall performances every week. That's also true. Goldin, I think he's one of those players who did bring up the Atletico Madrid side because he, he he's just a beast. He's just exactly, a beast. he's an animal. He's an animal. He's, he's a beast. Yeah. He is I a agree. beast. Uh, Alright, go on, your pick. I'm going to go for a striker position. Okay, the I'm second striker. striker. Alright, go on. Uh, I'm gonna pick Miroslav Klose. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good striker. Yeah, it's a good shout. Use my other um, non-present day player. I think to be the top scorer in a World Cup with names like Pele and Arnai, and to come out the top scorer in all of this, you have to be a very, very good player. Yeah, no doubt. Big game player who's done absolutely amazing things in Bayern Munich as well. He's just been a very quality player in my opinion. He's a guy you can just trust. He's that fox in the box. And those players, similarly to Ch- Ch- Chicharito in his Man United days, they're not, they won't look upon as the same as the, I don't know, CR7s or the Carlos Tevez in the game. And I think he is, he's a very, very good player. And I think he is very underappreciated. So an individual to get that many goals in the World Cup, yeah, yeah. he's very good. Yeah, that's the thing with football. Like every goal counts for one. It doesn't matter whether it's thirty-five yards top bins or scrappy from three yards out. Every goal counts for one, especially in knockout competitions like the World Cup. Yeah, he's an impressive. He's an impressive footballer. I think he is underappreciated, definitely. Okay, that's a, I had. I I guess who I had as my other my other underappreciated striker. <laughs> big big Rob, big Rob Lukaku, underappreciated. Rob Lukaku. Yeah, fourth fourth. Fourth youngest player to ever get to 100 goals in the Premier League. Only spent one season before doing that at a big club. Did the rest at Everton and West Brom. Always a lot of goals every uh, season. People like to talk about how he doesn't do it in big games, but it's un- it's an underappreciated skill to be able to always score against worse teams. That is underappreciated. But anyway, I didn't get my pick, so do try to do it. Do you know who my other one was? Go on. Mine was Jekyll. Jekyll, that's not a bad shout. Yeah, his Wolfsburg season where they won the league. And then for Mancini, I think he was a very pivotal striker with 
Yeah, man. He was, he was. And Roma, he brought them to the semi-finals as well to get that feeling for Barcelona. That was a great game. I think yeah. he's a very quality player as well. No, he's a good player. That's a good shout. That's a good shout. Okay, where am I going next? Uh, centre mid, left back, centre back and right back. Okay, I'm going to go left back and we're, we're turning back the clocks a bit here. But I'm going to go Dennis Irwin. He was part of Man United's most successful team ever through the late 90s, early noughties. Just a brilliant all-round player. When you talk about that back four, a lot of people talk about Yap Stam and Gary Neville. But not that many people talk about Dennis Irwin. He used to put free kicks, top bins, before it was fashionable for, defense, for full-backs to be doing that. He was both-footed. And yeah, part of the most the most successful team in Premier League history in terms of over consecutive years. And he's not a name which many people talk about or many people know. So Dennis Irwin is my left back pick. Lovely. All right. Um, what are you saying? Centre we... back. Yeah, you haven't picked a centre back. Who's your centre back? This this one was difficult for me to pick. I have um, so I've got two centre backs here, but one can play as a right back as well. I think I'm going to do the Atletico Madrid partnership. Okay. I'm going to go Savage in centre-back, the defender Savage. I think him and Goldin, when they were playing together, and now you've got Goldin at centre-back as well, they were, they were just very, very good together. He was in the league winning side as well, and he still plays from time to time within the team. And I think he's just the top-quality defender, which... Does, the, does everything right. He just does everything right, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, that Atletico, I think that whole Atletico team in the last few years is an underappreciated team and an underappreciated defence, so I think that's a solid pick, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, what have we got left? Am I going to take both centre mid roles? You've taken left mid and right mid, so I'm going to take the other centre mid, and I'm going to go for Nemanja Matic. And just to be clear, not the Man United Nemanja Matic who wears angle weights and can't run. Mourinho's Matic. At Chelsea, Matic was a machine, a classic example of one of those uh, midfielders who does all the dirty work. Not many goals, not many assists, but in the two seasons that Chelsea have most recently won the Premier League, Matic has started every single game. And I think that says a lot about what kind of player he is. Um, and these players who just... I made a similar point with Mandzukic, who just always seem to be on the winning team or the teams win when they're playing. Those guys are the underappreciated guys. I think he does a lot of the intangibles. And Mourinho, who knows a lot about winning Premier Leagues and winning leagues everywhere, that's his guy. He, he loves him. So that persuades me that he is definitely, uh, or at least his former self, which hurts me to say as a United fan, is definitely undervalued and underappreciated. Very difficult to uh, problem with Matic is that he's just been awful in Man United. Yeah, like, no, I said, I said, I said, I know I Man know, United is, I mean, Chelsea's Matic. <laughs> the players that we have in the team right now, they've been very, very consistent. Apart from your arguments, Di Maria, I would say the rest of them are very, very consistent players. And I do agree that the Chelsea Matic was underappreciated, but I think now he's just. Not the same player as well. That's, that's agreed. Agreed. I I completely agree, but I think that old Matic needs to get a bit of love. Very, very <laughs> So we've got the right back slot. Okay, right? last pick. Last pick. Right back. I think you agree with me. 
he was also a centre back choice that I had, so I want to be versatile with this one. It's Aspen Equator. I think I think he's uh, he's been a very very consistent player for Chelsea. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he was in the the title winning team as well. Yeah, and he's he's just a solid individual. He he's very good at defending. I think that's the perfect word for him. He's well. just he's just solid. He's solid. That's yeah, he's solid. He's solid. He's very solid. I think his passing ability is great. Right now, because he plays centre back, he they, you can see some weaknesses in his game. But as a right back, I think he's just a very solid player. At one point, uh, he was probably top three. Top three, top five fullbacks in the world at one point, I would say, when Chelsea won the league. He was very, very good, in my opinion. No, he's and a good player. He's a good player, no doubt. Yeah. He, he's my right back for the, for the underappreciated level. Okay, we've got our underappreciated 11. Let me just, let me just fill that out. Aspilicueta. Okay, so underappreciated 11 is in goal, Kaylon Navas, right back, Aspilicueta. Centre-back, Savage and Godin. Left-back, Irwin. Right-mid, Di Maria. Centre-mid, Matic and Jisung Park. Left-mid, Muller. Strikers, Mandzukic and Miroslav Klose. Not bad. I quite like that team. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good 11. I a pr- think that's a very good 11. It's a pretty good 11. I, would t- I wouldn't want to play them. I would not want to play that team. Well, Matic now, I think, is the only problem. That, the only thing that brings this whole team down. But I think, in form, all of these players, I think... It's a very, very good team. Yeah. yeah, that'd be solid. Very solid. That'd be very solid. solid. Do you have any um, mentions? like uh, Honourable mentions? Yeah, honourable mentions. Yeah, I got my Lukaku one in earlier. I, 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 I have an honourable mention to uh, the Wolves captain, Connor Cody. He, he's another one of these guys where he plays every single game. He's, he's leading a team which are on the rise. And he's a good player. He's a good leader. And the manager absolutely loves him. And when when these successful managers love their players in this way, it really makes me think that they're they're underappreciated. They they do lots of things which don't get noticed, but the the kind of things that only the manager notices. So and also the way Wolves play, particularly against the big teams, puts a lot of strain on the back four. So as the leader of that back four, I think he deserves quite a lot of credit that he doesn't get. What about you? I think the problem for him is it was just so long ago that yeah, it was just, yeah. the, the level the, the level then I know it's all relative I know that but yeah, yeah. the level then was so much lower than the level that Messi and Ronaldo play at that of yeah. course people might say the best player they've ever seen was him but his contemporaries the players he was playing against yeah. the, the, the level of football just doesn't equate to now yeah, it's, yeah. it's just too hard to draw that comparison like it's like comparing Jesse Owens and Usain Bolt like it's just yeah, it's yeah. just too much, too many years. I've got uh, one more. Uh, what's it called? Uh, honorable mention. mention. What's um, your honorable mention? I think it's Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole. Many, yeah, I think for many, many, he was my left back actually. For many, many years, he was just probably the best fullback in the Premier League. 
Whoa, and whoa. Gary Neville? His Arsenal and Chelsea days, he was very, very, very good. He was very, very, very good. I'm not saying Gary Neville, Gary Neville isn't as good or whatever, but I'm saying he was underappreciated, in my opinion. I think Ashley Cole, he was, he was just a very, very good player. And he, I'm pretty sure he was part of the Chelsea team that won the Champions League. Yeah. And Although I think yeah. they... Oh, no, didn't they play Ryan Bertrand in that game? Or was that in midfield? Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, no, no, he was because he scored a penalty. He scored a penalty. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think he, he's an underappreciated guy, even though he's a snake and I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Cashly. Like Cashly. I think he is a very, very good player. Well, good stuff. That was fun. I think maybe in a in a couple of episodes soon we might maybe do an overrated 11. See how we go there. Oh, that would be a good one. That would be a good one. Start calling out all the Arsenal players. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Okay, well, um, that rounds off this episode of the podcast with the underappreciated 11. Thank you, Alpha, for coming on. That was fun. Thank you very much, Um, More episodes may be coming soon in the quarantine. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy in these crazy times. And um, see you next time on Get Up, Speak Up.